Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Uh, Gretchen, switch sides with Katie. But I'm always on your left. Well, that was when there were three of us, and now the tallest go in the middle. But the whole dance will be backwards. I'm always on your left. And right now you're getting on my last nerve. Switch. And finally, please welcome to the stage, Santa's Helpers doing Jingle Bell Rock. And we are recording. A ho, 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 and a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, crazy Kwanzaa to all. I am Alex here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Joined, as always, by my jovial co-host, Julio. Julio, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy Affleck. That's right. Happy movie. Happy happy viewer. Happy Great America again. Yes. I, I Really, what a twist that this movie turned out to be good. Although we should be used to that by now. After but, the twists we had gone through. Yes. Not only in the Contrarians run, but over the past two hours watching this movie. I feel like we've... Been on a long and winding road. It was like a roller coaster. Yeah, the good ones, not the ones that make you puke at the end, but the ones that you're like, "Fuck yeah!" The, the ones where you go and buy the souvenir photo from. Yes, you get the photo, and then you're like, "I'll do this every Christmas." Yes, and it has at the bottom that the trap is set, the game is on, <laughs> reindeer games. So we are here today to. Um, no, this is a bonus episode, so we're not doing one of our. We're here to tackle. We're here to enjoy and have some fun with the bonus episode uh, for Christmas. In the lineage now, um, two years ago, it was a family stone and it's a wonderful life. Yes. Last year, we tackled a big old project in watching Christopher Columbus's uh, body of Christmas movies. By the way, I have a friend that literally, I think it was yesterday or today, texted me and he's like, Why do you hate Chris Columbus? <laughs> Out of the blue. So I'm like, He must have heard. He must have listened to the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was going back through the iTunes, like checking it, like you can see the popularity updates, and I think we were talking about this on a previous episode. I think it's funny people that go back, uh, and we appreciate it if you go back and listen to our whole body, <laughs> right. like our whole catalog vault. Rather is what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's even funnier because we've talked to people that listen to the first part and then like I don't get it and don't listen to the second part. <laughs> I don't hate Chris Columbus. I think we're quite clear about well. With, a glaring exception that literally I think every episode for the past year has been referenced <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks. Um, but yeah, we're quite complimentary of Home Alone 1 and 2. And in the vein of that Christmas joy, we are here for John Frankenheimer's Reindeer Games. Not any Reindeer Games, the director's cut. That's right. Um, as we've discussed before, Julian and I have a... We collect DVDs kind of like they're candy and... A, like a third of my collection is still in shrink wrapping, and I assume Reindeer Games was a three ninety nine purchase at some point <laughs> in my life, uh, but it was still in the shrink wrap. But we were very pleased to find out this was the director's cut, and as the quote says on the box from John Frankenheimer, 
This is the film I made for me. So it really offers an incredibly uh, powerful insight into the psyche of John Frankenheimer. This is the movie out of his entire filmography. This the last that, theatrical release. And yeah. also, I don't know if he knew that when he, was, when he gave that quote. When he finished the director's cut, his secretary came and said, Mr. Frankenheimer. And he said, I'm finished. <laughs> ben Affleck, Charlie Theron, Lieutenant Dan, the whole crew's here. Um, Danny Trejo, Ashton Kutcher, everybody is in yeah. this movie. Denal Logue, um, fucking Dennis Farina. It, everyone's here. Um, so, Reindeer Game starts off in, we're in Michigan. It is, uh, I believe, two days before Christmas Eve. Somewhere is where the time frame puts us. See, you're going to like make me do the math. Because it starts with you know a shot of how the movie's going to end. And then it says, what, six days ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, so it's the week of Christmas. Right. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it starts with a bunch of dead Santas. and From the very beginning, you just know, oh, wait, I have to do the quotes, because actually there was a quote uh, that referenced that. As you can see, we've been, we've been hitting the Christmas eggnog. Yes. Uh, okay, so, yeah, this movie, we loved it. Most people didn't. So it started with... <laughs> with good reason. <laughs> Charles Taylor from Salon.com says, There isn't a scene that's not an insult to the eyes. Robert Roden from Laramie Moviescope says, This represents the worst the Hollywood system has to offer. Ooh. Show some fucking respect. This is John Frankenheimer we're talking about. <laughs> well, even so, I mean, we get naked Affleck and naked Theron. There's something for everybody there. <laughs> yeah, come on. They're worst movies. Uh, Christopher Brandon from TNT's Rough Cut I con- <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> uh, contrived, cliche-riddled yawner that's got nothing going for it other than a tasty sex scene and an exploding truck. Now, which sex scene do you think he's referring to? <laughs> which one's tasty? Yeah, I don't know. That, he might have been reviewing the theatrical cut that maybe, maybe only has one sex scene. And, uh, Bruce Kirkland from Jam Movies. Says at times Reindeer Games looks as if it was directed by Frankenstein, not Frankenheimer. Ugh. You want to kill it. You want to run away. Bruce, you're an asshole. <laughs> and this is a Christmas movie. What's uh, that guy's name? Bruce Kirkland. If we had a YouTube page, I would just re edit the scene from Frankenstein where it's just the little girl getting thrown in the <laughs> pond but put his head on it by yes. Frankenstein. Uh Lou Luminick from New York Post says, about as appealing as leftover Christmas fruitcake. That uh, took long enough for one of those to come through. <laughs> Todd Anthony from South Florida Sun Sentinel says, too much yada, 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 and not enough ratatat. Whatever that means. That and, had to have been a live review, like, at, at the moment to... Right, but even just, since, like, so, Seinfeld would have been over for two years, so... He, I don't know. He probably thought he was... I don't know. He'd been waiting for like, a, t- a chance to use the yada, yada, yada thing. Uh, finally, Michael Wilmington from the Chicago Tribune says, It's a heist without a plan, a crime without a brain, a thriller without a decent script. Well, I mean, you know, whatever, man. More importantly, the Christmas spirit is in there. The Christmas spirit accounts for like 90% of this film. <laughs> it's everywhere. And like you said, it starts with five dead Santas or four dead Santas. Got to be five. Five. Yeah, yeah five. It's actually, there's five. Uh, yeah, and Ben, um, Rudy Duncan. I think we're just going to probably call him Ben throughout the duration of this. He's Ben Affleck. He is. He's 
No matter he's hashtag not my Batman, but he is Ben Affleck. Hashtag young Affleck. This is super young. Super chins. Young. His chin is chiseled from granite. <laughs> there is a, a noticeable difference. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, years, decades have passed, mm-hmm. and but there is. He looks like a child here, mm-hmm. in the same way that he looks like a child in, uh, uh, you know, more rats or even chasing Amy. Yeah. Uh, uh, all those movies of his early in his career before Dazing he became. Confused. I think he really started aging when he became a director. When he started directing movies, mm-hmm. I think that's when really he started getting the, the, the just age on him, the mm-hmm. gray hair and the just the lines in his face. Uh, and I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I like both versions of Affleck, but you have to know what you're getting into yeah. because it's. It can shock you at first yeah. when you see baby-faced Affleck, much like when we saw uh, baby-faced Tim Robbins in our last episode yes. he was for the player. It's just like it takes a moment to get adjusted to it. And then you get kind of weirded out because Charlie Theron looks younger in this than she did in that <laughs> thing you do. So it's kind of like, wait, what's going on? Um, but he's narrating basically the plot. He is in The Clink. He did some time for hoisting cars. He was uh, basically a, a grease monkey who... Um, Robbed some cars and got five years. His cellmate is James Frayne. Uh, Nick Cassidy is the character who um, a manslaughter charge. They basically became best buds in prison, and they are both two days away from getting released. Uh, mm. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed that we didn't spend that much time in the prison uh, scenario because it was – I liked what they were doing. You know, uh, I like that there was – this is a holiday movie, and I think that a lot of the haters just don't get that. Yeah. You know, I think that those people, uh, they're missing the subtle cues. Maybe Frankenheimer was being a little too too subtle with how he delivered certain things. Uh, the fact that Affleck is, like, clean-shaven and perfectly he's, – he's in prison, but it doesn't look like he's in prison. No. Because it's a holiday movie, you know, you should get into the spirit of that. And the prison looks—it doesn't look dirty, it doesn't look nasty. It's just some dudes that Isaac are like Hayes just hanging out. Isaac Hayes is hanging out. I love that it sits it up like that because then later when things take a turn, and there'll be many turns in this story, uh, it really it, it surprises you. It really pulls the rug from under you. So Nick has a girlfriend that he made, uh, basically a pen pal girlfriend. Uh, it's not. Clearly explained how, uh, but during his... Yeah, they mentioned uh, inmate magazines, which I guess it might be a thing, or it might be a thing in Frankenheimer's world, I don't know. That's true, yeah, but basically a pen pal program. Ashley Mercer, of course, Charlie's Theron, um, she's going to be there to pick Nick up when he gets out. Uh, Big development right off the bat is um, a prisoner, I believe his name is Aaron, uh, who's put back in the system, just a large man who Ben Affleck, uh, the gentleman thinks ratted him out, but is not to be. So there's an immediate air of danger and tension um, as they go to the cafeteria to eat. And this is Isaac Hayes, despite having moderately prominent billing. It's his only scene in the film. But it's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. He's eating Jello, and there's a roach in it, and he just spits the roach out and begins spouting, there are monsters in the gelatin. And he's not wrong. I mean, there's roaches in every single gelatin uh, in, in every plate. And, As uh, if someone took the meticulous effort to put it in. <laughs> right. It's not like they're getting half a roach. Yeah. They're getting like full on roaches in their green jello. And, uh, and this is where I say like you get the first big twist in the movie because you thought you were watching this kind of like holiday prison movie. And then it takes this really surreal turn where there's like roaches on every table and then a brawl explodes out of nowhere and 
it, it I really thought we were going into full on surreal territory. I I because I, I have to say I hadn't seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. Unlike Alex, I did not know what I was getting into. Oh yeah, it, it was a full plate <laughs> with uh, Roach included. With, exactly on the side. Uh, what starts as a simple and fun food fight, pretty much, it turns into a full scale riot, and they bring out the fucking riot shields, the guards, and in this fray, um, the prisoner that believes Affleck ratted him out comes at him with a shiv, and Nick takes the bullet for him and gets shanked, as they say in the yard. <laughs> he takes the blade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, Affleck gets to scream, I think, for the first time in the movie the first out of like a hundred times that he screams in the movie mm-hmm. it's like guards <laughs> and nick dies in his arms uh we get a very sad and lonely uh ben affleck in his cell prison guard like makes fun of him for his friend dying it's the the deck is getting stacked here against poor uh rudy duncan um but you know uh as nick is dying he says you know you have to go to ashley and you know you have to you know, follow in my footsteps or what have you. He's not making too much sense, but he's very adamant that Ben Affleck must meet Ashley. Yeah, um, and then because now he's he's alone in his cell, uh, I guess he has nothing better to do than to read through his buddy's uh, correspondence. So he just bones up on Ashley's letters. He uh, learns the whole history. Yeah, and he knows what she looks like because the wall is wallpapered with uh, with uh, uh, Charlie Theron pictures. Real Kaiser Soze shit here. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We all have at some point wallpapered a section of our room with Charlie Theron pictures. Oh but, yeah, you know, in prison, I, that's. I think it's more meaningful. So he, you know, learns the whole case, uh, what have you. He he knows the history. He knows the players, and he knows the game. So the next day, when released from prison, he's walking out into the blistering cold uh, snow. You know, we see these families greeting husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, and there's Ashley Mercer standing there just kind of waiting for her Prince Charming. Um, As Ben Affleck goes to get on the bus back to town, he just sees her there kind of waiting, just, you know, and he says to himself, don't do it, Rudy, don't do it. (laughs) But of course, the bus stops in the cold, and it really was, it's the scene from Family Stone with Claire Danes. God, I was trying to... Remember what it reminded me of. Thank you. <laughs> with uh, Dermot Maroney and Claire Danes, where uh, yep. they, the bus stops and they meet in the snow. There are some holiday hallmarks that you have to hit on every good movie. A bus has to start going and then, and then it has stop. to stop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, he didn't ask. I was just wondering what you're doing for New Year's. <laughs> well, because they, they did this, like this particular trope they got at the beginning of the movie. That's true. So then you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> he came out and he said, I'm Nick. And we get kind of some awkward interaction between them. Um, well, because th- she doesn't know, obviously. she For this to work, she doesn't know what, what Nick looks like, even mm-hmm. though Nick knows what. And, and this is pretty... Which is pretty erotic. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it really, it takes you back to the, that time of uh, pre-Skype, you know, <laughs> when you really, when you were talking to a pen pal, you really didn't know what they looked like unless they volunteer a photo. And if you are an inmate, obviously you don't have access to just like a webcam you can't or anything. Take a selfie. No, no, not anymore. Uh, or not back then, at least. Uh, so it, I, I think that that's uh, there's an air of mystery that's lost from modern romance because now you know what the person looks like right away, even if you're trying to like 
Well, you, anyway. you know, keep it long distance. Charlie Theron is a, not a sight for sore eyes, but you know, she hit the jackpot. She got young Ben Affleck, and she could have hit. She could have gotten uh, the other guy, which I mean, roided he, screech. <laughs> that's better than Mike. Because I'm gonna say the poor man's Peter Sarsgaard. Because he had like yeah. imagine Peter Sarsgaard with like a, a like a, an Afro wig, and that's kind of like what this guy looked like. Yeah, minus the charisma, the Peter Sarsgaard say. charisma. Peter Sarsgaard carried Green Lantern to another plateau. So. Can you imagine this guy in Green Lantern then? No. Then, then that movie would have sucked. <laughs> yes. Minus 5% in Run Tomatoes. <laughs> a little bit of awkward back and forth, and I think a lot of it is just Affleck's, you know, he's a prisoner and he's outside now and he's just kind of acclimating to it, but... Uh, it doesn't take them too long to get down to brass tacks and they get back to the motel. And- Which I appreciate it because, I mean, come on, you have to root this in the real world. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely no way that a man that's been in prison for five years <laughs> without even smelling a woman comes out. He was already, like, pushing the, the, the believability, the fact that he got on the bus instead of just going up to Charlie Theron from the beginning. But, mm-hmm. but then he is in there, like, making small talk for... You know, who knows how long at this cafe. And it's very clear that she's into him. Yeah. And he's still, like, having qualms. So I was so relieved when the movie just acknowledged what we were all thinking. It was like, okay, they need to have sex now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's pent-up aggression and also exactly like you said. And even for her, a guy like Ben Affleck, but a woman like Charlize Theron is in front of you, you know. Um, So, yeah, very tasty sex scene as it was laid out a bit earlier tawdry and quite shocking i think there was a bit more included here as part of the director's cut it's, it's the one that he did for him yeah and my cut i wanted to see more boobs and like i said there was a shot earlier where i called bullshit on affleck ass but he's he's there in the buff yeah i think it's him yeah there's just, i mean that shot happens earlier but then as the scene keeps going there's a, a full pan from his face all the way down his body so that's not, unless like they CGI'd his ass. That's... Lars Van Trier is the guest director <laughs> on this scene. So they go out shopping, more of the same. They're just becoming, you know, this lovable couple, and they're going to spend the holidays together. Um, their plan is to just buy, basically, supplies, food, and whatnot, and go back to the hotel room and stay there through New Year's. They uh, have an amazing holiday plan, and it kind of, like, I was jealous, but it also... That's, like, that's the dream, and that's America. You know, the fact that... Because at first... My first reaction was just bitterness. I'm like, this ex-con gets to just chill out for the entire holidays with this super hot woman, not even have to work. He doesn't even have a job yet. And he's just like, ah, he's just buying clothes and buying food. Junk food. And yeah, he's just going to get gonna to have, have the time of his life. Woman. Yeah. And I'm like, meanwhile, I've been working at the same job for like 15 years <laughs> and I can't take the holidays off. But then I'm like, well, that's because that's what I should aspire to. Yes. I should well, steal some cars. And then reality comes back very quickly. That is true. Yeah. Because they get back to the hotel room, motel room, rather. Um, she goes, she has to get something from the front desk, and he begins loading the Christmas tree in. And we're introduced to the the band of misfits, the band of thugs that's going to carry us through the rest of the film. Um, there is Pug, Danal Ogue, Jumpy, Danny Trejo, Merlin, Clarence Williams the third. And, of course, rounding out the pack, Lieutenant Dan himself, Gary Sinise, as Gabriel Mercer. Um, also called Monster. Monster. But he is the older brother of Ashley, or so we think. 
Wink, wink. Uh, he's in full-on lieutenant mode, uh, lieutenant Dan mode here. He has the hair. I mean, it's lieutenant mode, uh, lieutenant Dan, after he's lost the use of his legs. Yes. He has the long hair, the beard, the attitude. The cut-off sleeves, the gloves. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's just missing the bandana, but yeah, it's... Quickly, we realized <laughs> how close it is. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I welcome the side of more Lieutenant Dan mm-hmm. uh, anywhere I can get it. And if you kind of like close your eyes a little bit, let make the vision blurry, you can kind of pretend that this is like a lost chapter of the Lieutenant Dan story uh, in an alternate universe. But basically, he's there because he wants Nick Cassidy. Um, they explain this numerous times throughout the film, but basically the... <laughs> point is nick worked at a casino the real nick the real nick worked at a casino and relayed that to ashley via their letters um monster lieutenant dan was able to see these gabriel and basically he wanted to pull a heist on the casino and he needed nick to do so with all the inside info that he has exactly um so obviously you can see the problem with this plan because <laughs> Affleck is not Nick. Affleck is some guy pretending to be Nick. And and he right away is like, I'm not the guy. <laughs> and Gary Sneeze does have the great lines of basically he's like, so you just lied so you could have sex with my sister. And this is supposed to, you telling me this is supposed to help you. Basically, he then agrees to do so under the they're going to kill him. So. Yeah, see, so he he takes it back, and he's like, okay, yeah, I was kidding, I am Nick, and let's do this. Uh, this is where the movie takes on, there's there's two things, the, the, the introduction of the Gary Sinise character is pretty awesome for two reasons, it's, it's really when the movie becomes special, because you're talking about, one, on one level, I think it's a very pointed critique of capitalism and how it's changed Christmas, you know, because it's all love and happiness and, and just this this atmosphere of joy until Sinise shows up, and then it's all about the money, mm-hmm. much as like the holiday yes. has become. Now it's all about the presents and and businesses being open twenty four seven because they want to get every little uh, bit of cash that they can. Well, Danny Trejo in that scene reading Modern Business Magazine. Exactly, he makes that point very early on, which is like, hey, since like so much money is made during Christmas for the country, and it's like this percentage, maybe it would be in the benefit of the country to have a second Christmas halfway through the year to increase revenue and all that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that's this is this is definitely all about uh, the money. And uh, throughout the movie, you're gonna see basically a lot of character choices that have to do with. just how much am I supposed to – how much am I willing to do to get this money to where it's like I could just like walk away instead when yeah. things get complicated? So the Tomahawk Casino in Michigan, uh, it's an Indian-owned casino. They know that Nick has the ins and outs of it. And Nick relayed a lot of this to Rudy, so he can kind of bullshit a lot of his way through it. Um, but in the meantime, he's going to enjoy himself. He gets some meals on them, some hot chocolate. Um, but basically they want to rob this casino. Nick tells them – or Ben, see again, you get, you get twisted here. <laughs> Affleck. Affleck tells him, you know, there could be five million there. He talks about the powwow safe, this hidden safe that the uh, Jack Bangs, the guy who runs the casino, has hidden. Um, yeah, that safe is supposed to be for the movie. He's skimming mm-hmm. off the casino, and it's basically they begin to plot this out. And Gary Sinise has a, a rough outline of what the casino looks like. And just to bide time, Ben Affleck tells him, you know, no, they must have remodeled since I since I worked there. We're gonna have to go scope out the joint. 
So they dress him up like a cowboy and take him there. Yeah, I if I think that for people that were not clear on it up, up till now, the cowboy costume scene should have been the complete giveaway that this is actually a comedy. Yes. It's a black comedy and also an experimental comedy because the score is definitely not comedic. No. But I think that that was Frankenheimer. You know, this, he was 70 when he made this movie. So I could understand trying to like stretch your muscles. And we're like, oh, let's try some new shit. <laughs> and so, of course, he wants to make comedy, but with, with, with an action score, with a, a thriller score. Affleck it, knew. <laughs> Affleck knew. Affleck definitely knew because his performance, not just as the cowboy, but early on when we were talking about when he's eating the, the pecan pie and having the hot chocolate. And early on, he's playing on a very comedic level. And I think they all are in a way. It's just that obviously Sinise has to play the heavy. He's the bad guy. So yeah. the way he's funny is different than the way that Ben Affleck is funny. Ben Affleck is the, is the good guy. So he's the, the dopey, you know, caught in the middle kind of woes me like right his, right his reactions to certain mistaken things. identity yeah. and i told you when it first started i'm like okay this is the beginning of delightful romantic comedy by nora <laughs> Ephron. girl thinks that she's dating a different guy the real guy is dead in prison that sounds edgy yeah <laughs> and fun it's but something you'd see chris pine in yes yeah in the remake of reindeer games uh, Josh Gad would be the guy that gets killed. <laughs> so they go to scope out the joint. He is dressed as a cowboy. This is uh, we get uh, Farina makes his appearance. Jack bangs Dennis Farina. He's trying to basically sell some, um, get more investment into the casino because he feels he has a lot to offer. It is a very um, minimal and uncelebrated casino. It's just kind of there. But you can tell there's a lot of money in the safes that they have. Right. Even even a shitty casino is still a casino. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of money, especially apparently around the holidays. Uh, I, I really love that Farina was here. Just when I thought that, that we had settled on the cast and that was like there were no more surprises when it came to actors and actresses showing up. Then Dennis Farina showed up. I, I told you I recognized his voice even before he showed up on camera. And it was, it was such a treat. I mean, he's like... Uh, I mean, to me, at least, every time I've seen him, Dennis Farina is almost like he's always playing Dennis Farina. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. Yeah. Um, he does have the great line here, and it's my favorite bit of the film, um, where he says, you know, try to find a buffet that sells Coke and Pepsi. Don't waste your time because there isn't one. This movie, is... this movie is so great that, that that line, it's funny, but it's also set up for an even better payoff later exactly. on. It segues to the next scene where Ben Affleck goes to the bar and orders a rum and Coke, and the bartender says, a rum and Coke or a rum and Pepsi? <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely funny moment in the film. Um, but as he's getting this drink, you know, um, the rest of the, the whole, the henchmen, Clarence Williams, Danny Trejo, uh, Donald Logue are watching him because, you know, he said, you know, he worked here before and they had to dress him up because they would recognize him. No one seeming to recognize him. And even Dennis Farina comes up to the bar and kind of, you know, hey, cowboy, how you doing? And at this point, they're sensing some bullshit in the air. Right. Yeah. It could only it could only take him so far. Uh, and then this is when we get the the most awesome of cameos. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Michael Kelso. Michael Kelso. I I mistook him by uh, uh, Ethan Hawke at first. <laughs> we were watching it. And he at first you just see him for like a second in the background. And uh, he does have the before sunrise goatee going on. Yeah, and the hair a little bit. Uh, but then no, when we come back to him. Uh, it's very clearly Ashton Kutcher, and uh, he gets. We do get a crazy Kelso moment too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, what happens is uh, they both go to the bathroom, uh, Kelso and uh, and Ben Affleck, and Affleck just 
basically pays him to switch clothing so that when the bad guys come in looking for him. It's so great. They come in and the Kutcher's so like proud and he's like putting on the hat and glasses like fuck yeah and then they tackle him and they <laughs> oh dude it's so great and then uh ben affleck tackles clarence and he says run kid run and so ashton kutcher despite having a completely different height and body build from ben affleck <laughs> uh the lieutenant dan sees him and you know tries to run him over with a car and gets there and kutcher just in the kelso hey he paid me <laughs> I was waiting for like Hyde and Jackie to come out from like the, Michael. The, yeah. Uh and Ben Affleck and Ashley, they run off together. They're running in, you know, they're in the vast mountains of Michigan and they fall down the side of this big hill, land on a frozen lake. Um they're running away. The whole gang is just firing and Gary Sinise is shooting at the ice and in a very diabolical plan shoots it out. And they fall under their... Well, she falls under, and then Affleck goes after her. That's right, her. yeah. Yeah, she, she, this is an important detail <laughs> that's referenced later, but yeah. Because he later tells her, I saved your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Which he did, which... <laughs> I'm getting... I'm, like, thinking too far ahead now, and my brain hurts. Um, this is a movie that's almost, like, review-proof. Because they're like, you will get fucked up trying to dissect everything that was going on. Um, that's what uh, Ebert had to uh, give it one point five stars just because he like he couldn't give it none because his brain <laughs> wouldn't remember what happened properly. Um, rescues her. There's a man ice fishing out there who unfortunately meets his untimely demise as monster um, shoots him, but he he doesn't kill him. Right. He shoots the ice out from under him to make him drown, which is easily the most like cold-blooded, no pun intended, moment in the entire <laughs> film. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Ashley and Affleck are freezing. They take him back to this mo- local hotel. Uh, they handcuff by his foot Ben Affleck to the bed in the room. Um, and basically, they're just out to no good. They're uh, assembling supplies for the heist, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, like, they give uh, Affleck a stern talking to while he's still, like, freezing in his uh, Oh, that's right. Before that, clothes. because... Um, yeah, Sinise gets his epic monologue oh, slash dude, this Oscar is clip. The Reservoir Dog scene, pretty yeah. much. It's like <laughs> yeah. a modern interpretation of that word. He he has the jukebox plan, and he yeah he. <laughs> oh, that's right! I forgot that this is so amazing. Like, because yeah. they, they come in, and he's already Sinise is already there, and he's just like playing an air guitar and just like headbanging. Cut off sleeves, and, yeah. yeah. And then sits Ben Affleck down, and he's throwing darts around him, um, and he's explaining to him how he's basically waited for the world to give him an opportunity. Right, he's been a trucker for like I don't know how many years, and uh, he just kept. Telling God to like give him a sign or deliver something for him, and then he delivers. And God bless Affleck. him; he's giving like a genuine effort here. That is, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Like Sinise is like he's he's still in the comedy, but he's you know every comedy has like it's it's serious moments. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to be considered seriously, uh, taken uh, into consideration for awards and whatever. So this was definitely Sinise's like awards clip. Yeah, it's like a, a solid like three to four minute monologue. Uh, where he gets to show off because he's shooting the darts and then he ends up like really close to Ben Affleck's face. Yeah. Um, and then he has that line, Ben Affleck's like, he says something about, you know, quit throwing these darts around me. He says, I'm trying to hit you and then just pegs him in the chest with the dart. And then he keeps going. Yeah. He, he hits him with the darts like four times. It's vicious. 
And then that's when they take him up and they chain him to the bedpost and begin assembling the plan and supplies moving forward. Um, and Affleck, you know, he comes back to, he recovers, um, and he's basically, he tries to escape. He actually has one of the darts that's stuck in him, and he's able to unscrew the bedpost that he was stuck to. Um, once he formulates this escape, uh, we find out another big plot twist in the film. Yes. Before we get to the plot twist, though, I, I just remember, like, I had this awesome realization uh-huh. uh, when we're, like, in the middle of, of Gary Sinise's awesome speech, which was that the second thing that the movie was about, at least up to that point, was, you know, one thing was the the commercialization of Christmas, but then the other was just, it's it's talking about the nightmare of having the in-laws, because Gary Sinise is the brother-in-law from hell. You know, you meet a girl, you, you hit it off with her, you guys hook up, you're going to spend the holidays together, but eventually you have to meet her family. And Gary Sinise is like the worst example of when you meet like, you know, I love her, but her family is, is horrible. And in this case, Sinise is just like this bully, this criminal that just completely uh, subdues Ben Affleck. And Affleck can't run away because he still cares for her. It adds a whole layer of relatability to the story. Yeah, because I was, I was like – I was watching him like getting hit by the darts and I'm like, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there where, you know, a relative of a person I love was just like hitting I me. I love her, but her family's they support Trump. <laughs> and they're just hitting you with those darts. Yeah. Make America great again. <laughs> Build that wall. <laughs> you know, it's that type of thing where it's easily relatable. And that's a trope that's used in every fucking holiday movie. And right. For it to be subtext of exactly. the story. Yeah. You know, I was – there is – the big thing that's in your face the entire time is like, oh, there's this heist that yeah. has to happen. And there's like gunfire. And there's – And there's Kelso. And there's Kelso. But underneath of it, you're like, why am I connecting to this so deeply? Oh, because the brother-in-law is such an asshole. <laughs> Or is he the brother-in-law? Well, and then and then the movie, just when you think you figure it out, the movie just... Just when you have all the answers, it changes the questions. As Ben... I would like to, at this point, I just I would like to point out that I've never had a problem with a brother-in-law. <laughs> I just realized that I just made it sound like it's brothers-in-laws that are my problem. No. All the brother-in-laws love me. All right. Affleck's about to escape. He frees himself using a dart that once was pierced through his skin he uh, unscrews his handcuffs from the bedpost he makes his way out and the pool of the hotel you know and i don't think there's anyone else staying at this hotel because <laughs> there's just nothing going on um there is Ashley. well you know it's really it's a holiday season it's really shitty out there uh, i think it's that true. by then hopefully you're if you haven't made it to to, to home with your family you're probably stuck at the airport exactly you're yeah. stuck at the airport you're frozen in yeah. the highway so um, Ashley is in the pool along with uh, Monster, and they're joking back and forth, and there's a really weird tension and a sexual air about it considering they're brother and sister. Come to find out, they're not brother and sister. Oh, no, they're not. Uh, Charlie's there and you know, talks about how she's playing Affleck for a fiddle, stands up, uh, takes her top off, and goes over to Lieutenant Dan and... Um, you can only see him from the waist up, so it's very reminiscent of the Forrest Gump scene. Only he doesn't throw her and start defending his friend. It just no, he just goes to town. He just goes for it yeah. while Ben Affleck watches. Yeah, and Ben, it's an open area, but he the shot makes it look like he has his ear to the wall. 
if he's listening in on it. Classic Affleck, just still like, he understanding that this is a comedy and just playing every embracing beat. it. Uh-huh. So he hears what's going on. He also then sees that Clarence uh, Williams, Donald Logue, and Janie Trejo are all coming back up to check on him. So he has to go back up there and make it appear as though he's still handcuffed. But you can see the gears rotating in his mind. He's just gonna he's gonna figure out a way to get himself through this and just bullshit in the meantime. Which he does, because when they start to form the plan, he just is making shit up off the top of his head about how they're going to do it. Yeah, I think that realizing that that this woman has been playing him in realizing that he doesn't have to care anymore about what happens to her, I think it just frees him to just do, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Now it's just me, so I don't have to yeah. worry about having to save her or anything. So the heist is planned. The... The crew plan, you know, they have their whole arsenal of weapons. They're not going to give anything to Affleck but a squirt gun, which he um, instinctively fills up with rum because, goddammit, if he's going to do this, he needs to be drunk to do so. It's an excellent idea. I can't believe I've never seen that before in a movie. But, yeah, for the rest of the movie, throughout all the heist and whatever, he'll, he'll keep squirting rum into his, uh, his mouth. Um, monster plans that they're going to go in as Santas, to, you know, because no one will expect any Santas. Their whole plan is, you know, they're going out for drinks after the last night uh, on Christmas Eve, you know, representing different department stores. And the big score, for whatever reason, the big point of interest is the powwow safe that is kept in uh, Jack Bangs' office. Um, so they get there, and it was a lot, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in probably 13 years, but it was a lot less ceremonial than I thought. They just kind of go in and... Before you know it, just shit's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just, uh, yeah, they start showing up. They don't show up all at once. They start trickling in. Because at first it's like, uh, I think it's Affleck and Trejo, right? Yeah. And, the, and then Sinise joins them and then the other two. And then. The whole plan is that Ben Affleck's going to create a diversion. Right. Which but, he does. But right away, it's apparent that he gave them all the wrong information because nothing makes sense. Uh, right, right. Denal Logue, the first one to be an unfortunate victim of that. Yeah, I was surprised that we had gotten to basically the climax of the movie and Danny Trejo was still alive. Because if you if you follow Danny Trejo's career, he usually gets bumped off like... By the time you get to halfway through the movie, Trejo is not there anymore. I think he made it Unless 20 minutes heat. in Predators. <laughs> yes. Heat, I think Heat is the thing. I mean, if not, if it's not like a machete movie where he's the title character, I think Heat is the longest that I've seen him like live. But Heat's also like a really long movie. Uh, but yeah, here it's like we made it to the heist and Danny Trejo is still alive. And once shit goes down, he's not the first one to go down. No. So that was impressive. And that was, again, Frankenheimer like throwing, throwing little twists among the big twists. So Denal Logue gets to the safe and they open it and there's three armed guards behind there with shotguns and shoot a giant crater into his body. Um, he's wasted. Clarence realizes at this point, yeah, fucking lied to us. Um, Gary Sinise makes his way up to the management office, basically the security tower where all the cameras are, comes in. Um, uh, Farina's in there. Uh, he makes Farina handcuff the security guards. And then he kills them anyway, right? Yeah. Is that what happens? <laughs> he's an evil man. He is, he's the worst. And it makes Farina take him to his office. Um, basically, they're able to clear out the security. And even at its worst, when it seems like the chips are down, that's when um, Ashley just completely breaks character, comes in, run, runs through the building, runs over the two security guards, Comes out and puts the gun to Affleck's head. I guess she didn't know that he knew by this point. Yeah, I think I think it's worth mentioning at this point that that Charlie Theron gives a hell of a performance. She is it's a tour de force. It is, and she gets to play so many different beats. Uh, we haven't even gotten to like the lay the, the final layer of her of her 
character, but uh, she she's really because at first she's playing this really naive kind of sweet character that, that you can be exasperating because you're like, how can you not realize that your brother is horrible? Yeah, you know, how, how can you like lead our main character into this trap? And then comes a big reveal where like, oh no, she is not her her brother, and they're actually lovers and whatever. And the way that she speaks, the way that she moves changes when she's in that pool. Uh, and it changes again now, you know, when she stops playing the character and just reveals herself to Affleck, you know, not knowing that Affleck already knew. Yeah. Uh, but in the middle of the heist, I mean, she begins walking and she's like very confident and the way she talks, it just, I was, I was already in love with her performance. I was already thinking, okay, she is the Ethan Embry of this movie just because she's embracing the, the dumbness of this woman so fully. But then she has this this turn, and it's like, wow, she can also play like a really smart criminal at, at the same time. And that transition is not easy. Not all actors can do it. So they basically all reconvene, uh, minus Denalog, who we hardly knew ye. Uh, Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I think out of everybody in that crew, he's the one that gets the least uh, They all time. assemble in uh, Jack Bangs' office, and you know, uh, Monster's beating the shit out of him. And he wants the powwow safe, and he can barely talk. He's kind of like Nicolas Cage at the end of Snake Eyes at this point. Uh, and he brings <laughs> another casino movie, <laughs> which unfortunately I think I checked recently and is a, a gray area. So we may have to wait till episode fifty to do that. Episode one hundred, yeah. the Nicolas Cage gray area marathon, uh, culminating in the Brian De Palma <laughs> masterpiece Snake Eyes. Um, but he brings over Ben Affleck. He said, "Yeah, this is Nick Cassidy. He worked here and." You know, he said there's a powwow safe, and it's, you know, it's building to this moment, but it's great because Farina just, that's not Nick Cassidy. <laughs> and it's all in close ups. So you have in this, the one shot, you have Sinise's face in the middle of Affleck's face and Farina's face. Mm-hmm. And they're all so different because Farina's all beaten it to shit. So he's all bloody and bloated. Uh, Sinise is all angry, and Affleck knows he's caught. So he's just kind of smiling. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Again, knows he's in a comedy. So he pushes him away, and you know he said, "You know, uh, well, you're not of any good use anymore." And legitimately, my favorite line in the movie when Gary Sinise tells him, "Well, you're going to spend Christmas with the birthday boy," and I thought that was <laughs> fucking brilliant. Uh, he goes to kill him, but Affleck assures, "You know, no, I know there's a power safe. I've heard Nick talk about this before. Um, it's before, behind the liquor cabinet." And so they have Farina get up and go in there and open it, and. He, <laughs> They, and Ben Affleck says, pow, wow. And Farina turns around with two Uzis and just starts opening up on him. And this is where Dran- Danny Trejo bites the dust. Yes, yeah, he's the first. But, but you know, kudos to him because he survived on a log. Um, also, this is where it hit me. There was another thing that had been bubbling throughout the movie. And it was just like, it's very pro-gun stance. I kept seeing it because, you know, they have that, the bad guy's car. It has that bumper sticker with a, with a, Machine gun or something, yeah. yeah. And uh, come and, and get it, or come and take it, rather. Yeah, and so it's. I usually i it's hit or miss or miss for me whenever like a movie is like very pro gun. So the fact that this one does it like very subtly, I like, you know, because it, literally the guns in this case saved the day. The fact that this guy had guns stashed away <laughs> saved the day. He he gets 
them, and then he blows away most of the bad guys. A scenario like this is where I would accept a pro-gun argument. Right, where he's like, you know, the government, the, the government had taken his guns. Because you know that Farina did not have those guns there legally. No. So uh, that's uh, that's impressive. He saves Ben Affleck's life, basically. If, if he hadn't done that, then he was dead. Affleck was dead. And he goes to defend his territory. He just chases off Sinise and Theron. While we're left up atop with uh, Clarence Williams III and Ben Affleck, who are tussling over a gun. And Affleck wins the wrestling match, but unfortunately turns out to be the squirt gun that he had loaded with rum. Or is it fortunate? Well, that's, uh, again, Frankenheimer by now, the master. He's out Shyamalan, Shyamalan when it comes to like plot twists and reversals. Uh, because then uh, the bad guy grabs a real gun from the floor. Points at an Affleck, and then really in a very cocky moment, he lights a cigarette. And an act of bravado. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, obviously he hasn't been watching many movies, because that's, you should have shot this guy right away. He hits the lighter, and Affleck knows what's what's what, and starts spraying it, and it's... He says something, doesn't he? Like, isn't there, like, does he have, like, a... a, a, a well, it references quippy. back in earlier when he gives him the squirt gun, he says, you know, what do you say to Santa's elves when they give you a gift? Do you say thank you, motherfucker? And then he's laughing. He's like, what do you say to Santa's elves? You say, thank you. Squirt, 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 squirt. And then the guy is immersed in flames. That's some powerful rum that that he had there. Uh, Grain alcohol in there. But yeah, he catches a blaze and falls through the window through the car. And that was one of the first images of the film was this smoldering corpse in a Santa outfit. And we now know where it came from. Um, Gunfight between Farina... Uh, Monster and Ashley, they get in a couple shots. I mean, it's never confirmed whether or not Jack Bangs dies in the film. I mean, it looks pretty. It's grim. Pretty final. Yeah. I mean, he get he gets shot, and then the last time we see him, he's just like sitting down on a chair, bleeding out. Yeah, I don't know how long it took the authorities to get there, but <laughs> <laughs> he was already in pretty bad shape from the beating. So. But home is where the heart is, and he, he if he had died, it was where he wanted to he, do so. He was the captain that sank with the ship. He is George Clooney when he acts like he's going to go up underwater or over water with Mark Wahlberg and then goes back below. <laughs> yes. The captain goes down with the ship. Um, so the three of them escape. They you know take Affleck back hostage because he tries to go out the back door like he did before, and they're able to capture him. So they take him up uh, to the top of a, the vast mountains of Michigan, and basically what they're going to do is load him into a car, drive him off a cliff. They make it off with the money. Everyone dies happily ever after. Yeah. The whole point is that he's still dressed as Santa. Not a cliff, I'm sorry, as Ben Affleck refers to it, a ravine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. He's still dressed as Santa. They got to get rid of him before moving forward. Um, Gabriel goes to load him into the car. And Charlie's there and says something along the lines of, you know, it's what you get for pretending to be someone who got stabbed to death. Yeah, it's kind of like the classic clunky reveal from a from a villain, which you're just waiting for because this is that kind of movie. And uh, it's the it's, proverbial banana peel. Yes, it's delicious to watch. How <laughs> she just basically betrays herself accidentally. Uh, you know, you gave Sinise the credit for the Oscar scene earlier, where he talked about his shitty life and waiting for his moment. I think this here 
is the true award scene. Well, I mean, Alex, there are different categories. So you could have Best Supporting Actor for Sinise and Best Supporting Actress for, or even Best Leading Actress for Charlize Theron. Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking we have two award scenes for Sinise. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause, oh, you're talking about like... Because here when he's realizing... When he realizes that she's He's not him. wanting to, but he you can <laughs> see it in his face. It's just magic. It's, it's, it is also so comical. It's the way it's staged because it's like... Sinise is holding a gun to Affleck's head, and in front of them is Charlize Theron. So it keeps cutting back and forth between Charlize Theron and, and then the two shot of Ben Affleck and Gary Sinise. And in the two shot, Sinise keeps like looking at Affleck, then looking at her, and Affleck keeps looking at Sinise and then looking at her. They keep like ping-ponging their The Criterion cover would be the shot of him looking at Charlize Theron with the gun <laughs> to Affleck's head. Right. Well Affleck is looking at him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they have this like this whole you have like to fold it out. Yes. <laughs> But they have this whole like who's on first like moment where she's like, uh, "You said that he was shipped," and Affleck's like, "No, I said he died." No, you said that he got stabbed. No, I said he died. And and, and so then, he's going back and forth between them like a dog that's expecting a treat from one of them. And he's realizing that Affleck's right. And he, Ash, Ash. <laughs> and then in the true like the empowering moment of the film, Charlie Theron says, "Ugh, men," and shoots Gary Sinise. <laughs> So if you're one of those people that was upset by the fact that Charlie Theron was here just to like quotation mark show her boobs and then play a dumb female character and then play a not so dumb female character but that was also like being used by Gary Sinise will rejoice because here is where <laughs> it's revealed that she had she was ahead of all of them the entire time. She shoots him in the hip, he falls back and um Probably the most just flat-out brutal scene in the movie. She just walks over and shoots him in the head. <laughs> you don't even get to see... Like, that's the last you see of him. You don't yeah. even get to see him, like, really die. It's like... It, it's in the distance that she just, like, shoots him in the head, and then you just cut to Affleck's reaction. It would have been a lot easier if he just fell and just started backstroking <laughs> into the sunset, and you just never really knew. Um and then, you know, there's this moment of kind of quiet awe, and then you hear whistling of silver bells, which takes us back to the beginning of the film when um, the real Nick Cassidy was whistling as they were walking into the yard, and we find out that it was Nick Cassidy that all along had set this up. John Frankenheimer blows your mind one last time. James Frain comes into frame. <laughs> he and, comes into frame. <laughs> and, you know, you're just left with... What? Yes, and thankfully, Frankenheimer, he is a director of the people. So he's not one of those pretentious filmmakers that will be like, well, now you figure it out. No, he he has provided solid exposition every step of the way here. So thankfully, he oh, has... Oh, yeah, lays he, it out. Right. You're never lost. You're surprised, but you're never like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And in this part where you were like, okay, this does not make sense because we saw that guy die. Yeah. He perfectly explains how is it that he didn't die. He had... he was The homie who stabbed him was supposed to do so later in the day, but they took advantage of the food fight. Right, so it's not like some crazy thing, like he planted the the cockroaches in the yeah. in the jello. That just happened to be a happy accident. Th- that's just poor, poor hygiene from <laughs> right from, the from Michigan a Department of <laughs> Corrections. Um, and he had him stab him, and then he put a jello, like a fucking blood capsule in his mouth. He paid off the guards to say he had died. Um, it was the whole reason he pumped him full of knowledge about the casino to begin with. Right. His entire plan was always to have somebody else rob the casino that he'd always wanted to rob. And the whole thing was the reason he was in jail was killing someone who, you know, got fresh with his girlfriend, Millie, 
we find out that Charlize Theron is Millie. And when they say it, you're like, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Tricks Gary Sinise and his ragtag team of misfits into this, basically exploiting these wannabe truckers, these wannabe badasses who we've established have never done a heist in the film. Yes. So they were they looked like badasses, but really they all they done was deal guns. Which I'm not saying it's not badass on its own, but it does not compare to what they've pulled off here. Right. So played them like a fiddle, and we learn here that there were five Santas that walked into the casino, and they are expecting five Santa bodies. There's got to be five. Yes. As Charlie Theron lays out. So they put Ben Affleck in this car. They're going to run off the ravine. Oh, For all they've constructed thus far with all that could have gone wrong and how well they pulled this off, rule number one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait, 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 before you get to rule number one, which is amazing. Speaking of how well they constructed this, this is what I might, maybe what I love the most about the movie. It's taken us into this very improbable journey where like a lot of things happen and you're like, well, you know, I don't know that this would actually, the odds of this happening are really low, but I'll go with it because I'm having so much fun and because the characters believe it so mm-hmm. so much and all this stuff, right? But then... I mean, it accumulates, right? So when you get to the end and they reveal like the real thing that's been going on all this time, you're like, okay, that was an amazing plan, but the odds of this happening are extremely low. Yeah. The, 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 and but then real Nick acknowledges that, which is amazing because Affleck tells him like he has him a gunpoint. They're about to kill him, and Affleck's like. How did you know that this was going to happen? How did you know that it was all going to... I think we don't know what a long shot is. <laughs> yes. He says, he acknowledges that it was a long shot. It, and I was like, bless you, John Frankenheimer. <laughs> that, that's all I need to hear. I just need you to put me at ease so I can enjoy the last 10 minutes of this movie. Acknowledge that this was like a real long shot. Yes. So they strap him into this car and they're going to send him off the side of the cliff and then they're going to live happily ever after with the money. Um, but again, for all that could have gone wrong, rule number one... You never put a guy known for hoisting cars behind the wheel. Yep. Um, within a matter of seconds, he's able to free himself from his restraints with a pocket knife that he had uh, basically swiped from a toolbox earlier in the film and then hotwire the car and then slam it into reverse and then slam back into um, Nick. Real Nick. And break him in half pretty much. And then Charlie's there and with her classic, no. And then, she loses it. We've seen her lose it before in the movie, but it was like a fake. Yeah. You know, where she's like, no, when, when Grace Nice was beating up uh, Ben Affleck. And much like in Prometheus, where she just doesn't understand if you get out of the way to the side, <laughs> it can't kill you. Um, she just steps right in front of the car and gets run over. It's the same defense I always gave in Prometheus. It's like, you're not thinking straight when something's coming <laughs> at you. You're not like, oh, maybe I should just like step aside. Sometimes you just you just start firing your gun. Yeah. So she's shooting. Affleck runs the car into her. He exits stage left. Car goes off the cliff. Um, at this point in time, Affleck kind of recovers. Charlie's there and done, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. a- Ashley's gone. She gets a more badass death than Gary Sinise. It's true. Sinise... Lieutenant Dan just eats it. <laughs> so Affleck goes back to the flatbed truck where, you know, all this has gone down. And Nick's there and he's saying, you and me, we can do this together. You and me. And Nick's been pretty optimistic about his survival rate. Like even if Affleck, if Affleck had said like, okay, let's do it. I don't know that Nick would have survived. I mean, he, he would could... at least been a, a double amputee. <laughs> yes. Um, but he puts him, he locks the doors of the flatbed and just has the truck back over off the cliff. So lands on top of Ashley there. And 
that's about that. And he picks up the big bag of cash and he becomes Santa Claus. He literally, that's when you realize that this entire thing was a prequel slash reboot of the Santa Claus franchise. And this is the last minute or so of the movie as Ben Affleck walks home. all the way home. <laughs> Because by the time that he gets home to his family, he's still dressed in the bloody, dirty uh, Santa Claus <laughs> yeah, costume. But he, the terrain he encounters, it expand. <laughs> it's vast. You know, he's carrying this big bag of money and he's putting the handfuls of cash in mailboxes all across the nation. Because we see a farm, we see a home, we see a trailer. He, he becomes the most generous person on the planet, which makes sense because that's who would become the next Santa Claus. Exactly. And then because he becomes Santa Claus, I guess he's able to just travel. He gets and, back home. And the closing line of the film is him narrating that he's never been much for holidays until now. And we see him sitting at the... Head of the table with his family, still bloody, messy. Big smile on his face. Burnt. Yeah, but he's learned the true meaning of Christmas. And it just says, Ben Affleck will return in to Santa Claus too. <laughs> By John Frankenheimer. <laughs> God, such a good movie, man. It, it just You can tell when you have an experienced filmmaker behind the wheel. You know, because there's so many things going on, and it, it's a movie so rich. Even if if you turn the volume down and you were just watching this movie uh, without listening to the dialogue, the voiceover, the anything, and you just watched the visual cues, it just you would know what it's about. You would see like dead Santas everywhere. You're like, oh, this movie is about the death of Christmas, the death and rebirth of Christmas, because then it ends with Santa Claus walking home, giving presents Vindicated to people. Santa Claus. Exactly. Uh, it, it's just. It's amazing. I, I, I can't thank you enough for making me watch this movie. Such a good Christmas movie. It didn't even have to come out around Christmas. It could come out in February and it would still be okay. I, I, I see, though, why. Because like I was telling you, that Christmas, unfortunately, has become the award season. So you get a lot of movies that have nothing to do with Christmas or the holidays that just come out in December because they want to be considered for the Oscars. Yeah. And... Among the buzz of those big releases, a movie that's actually about Christmas could get lost. So I completely understand them moving the release date to to a holiday that has not been overrun by commercialism yet, like like Valentine's Day. And not even having to update the music, they can still just put Christmas carols in there. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's still dressed like Santa. I think the message is that Santa is around all year long. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you're Lieutenant Dan or not. <laughs> he can't predict Nick Cassidy still being alive. Well, because he wasn't Santa then. Okay. He becomes Santa at the very end. Similar to the Santa Claus, just because you put on the suit doesn't mean you're the guy. Right. You yeah. have to really become the guy. The only thing that's missing is a scene of Ben Affleck shaving himself clean and then the beard coming right back. White. Yeah, yes. All right. Yeah, let's, uh, let's real talk move it. this along. Maybe this is where you wanted him, Ashley. Some stranger at the bottom of a ravine with a burned-up heart. Maybe. But it didn't happen. It was what you did for him. You made him the happiest he'd ever been. Get out. Come on. Get in the car. Hey! Hey! Gabriel! Don't go getting all noble with me, Rudy. Guy takes a shift for you, you go chasing his girlfriend. Don't talk to me about greed. What? What did you say? I said don't talk to me about greed. No, not about that. About You said the guy takes a shift for you. 
I never said anything about a ship. How'd you know there was a ship? You said it. You said the real Nick died saving you. No, I didn't. I said he died. I never said how. Yes, you did. No, I never said how. I said he died. You said he was stabbed. I said he died. I never said how. You said he was stabbed. That he took a ship, a knife, a shank, whatever. Ash, how'd she know there was a ship? Ash? How'd she know? Jesus Christ. Men. Alright, a Merry Christmas here with Reindeer Games, which was released on February 25th, 2000, was supposed to be released Christmas, uh, Christmas Day, 1999. Um, however, due to poor test screening and reaction, it was pushed back to February, which it's clearly a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's alright. I, I think that, you know, you should have more kind of like out of sync holiday movies and you know they have like a fourth of july independence day movie open on christmas that would just make me really curious about it that's true i would like to remove the stigma of like well this kind of movie can only play at this time but unfortunately it was just because this movie is not that good (laughs) right um oh as we mentioned numerous times directed by celebrated uh director john frankenheimer uh written by aaron kruger of scream 3 and scream 4 fame um a couple other things there too arlington road dracula 2000 the ring brothers grim uh, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, and Transformers Age of Extinction. So, um, I mean, that's a career. This ranks amongst his better films, I would <laughs> say there. His or her? Aaron? Well, let me see. Now we're going to like <laughs> Google him slash her. No, it's a he. He? Yeah. Okay. This is why we edit. <laughs> Budget of forty-two million, with a disappointing box office return of slightly over thirty-two million. Um, an interesting movie, to say the least. Um, one that holds a very low twenty-five percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, but some people liked it. Including some myself. people. <laughs> but do you like it to where you would be like, yeah, I'll give it a a, a red tomato? No. You would not recommend it. No. You would just say, hey, you want to have fun. The last 10 minutes dramatically change, like, <laughs> how much I can endorse the movie. <laughs> if he had just killed Gary Sinise and Charlie Theron and, like, won that way, it's a lot better than just... I mean, it's a lot better, but it's still not good. No. No, 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 no. It's, again, like I was talking about while we were watching it, this is, like, a script that was written in, like, 91 or 92 <laughs> that someone picked up eight years later and just didn't change at all. <laughs> Um, like you said, noticeable lack of cell phones. Yeah, that was that was the thing that after you pointed out, I'm like, ah, oh, that's right. Because even so, there would have been like the big bricks at the time they could have talked on and shit. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, who liked it? Let's get to some some red tomatoes. Fresh red tomato from Desmond Ryan from the Philadelphia Inquirer, who says a film noir with a bracing twist of black comedy. Uh, Jeffrey M. Anderson from Combustible Celluloid says Kruger makes reindeer games fun and Frankenheimer gives it class, clarity, and energy. David Fosmark, Forsmark from Flint Journal 
says, where else are you going to get to see five Santas storm a bargain basement casino with guns a-blazing? And he's right. Yeah. But he's also wrong. Uh, Jay Boyar from Orlando Sentinel says, Reindeer Games is the sort of movie in which nothing is quite what it seems. He got that right, but still not a good movie. Finally, Glenn Lovell from San Jose Mercury News says Frankenheimer at 70 hasn't lost a step in his game. Well, respectfully disagree, sir. Respectful decline. I have to say, I've only, I think I've only seen two John Frankenheimer movies. Uh, I'm like losing cred right now, but because you know he's he's big. Like I haven't seen The French Connection uh, and anything else that he's seen, but I've seen uh, this movie now. And I saw Ronin, which I thought was his worst movie. <laughs> I would assume. I would like, I'm sure this guy's great and Ronin is just a movie that's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I've seen two Frankenheimer movies and they both kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I should like really make an effort to watch The French Connection just to vindicate the whole thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I have seen of his. Uh, I have not Robert seen Robert De Niro? No. Oh, yes, I have seen Ronin. It's bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) took me a second there. I mean, he's supposed to be known for, like, action, mainly. Mm -hmm. Whenever I hear Frankenheimer, I hear him praised for his action scenes. and I've seen I Walk the Line, which is good. Yeah, this was his last theatrical. He did um, a short film and an HBO uh, special, but this was his last theatrical release, which, you know, whatever. You can tell it's someone who just didn't really care and made a movie he wanted to make, so that's cool. I don't really see any... And, you know, I like I said, this was just kind of a fun bonus episode, so I didn't do any extensive research. Uh, the only really thing I found was that Vin Diesel was originally supposed to play the part that uh, Denal Logue had. Um, huh. But he wanted, like, his position in the script rewritten. So <laughs> that boiler room money, man. Yeah. It's going to talk to you. Um, it's the same in Private Ryan, cred. Like, it's been a Spielberg movie. I got a cool death. <laughs> but, yeah, um he left to film the Fast and the Furious, so it worked out. For Good Vin, call. With Vin Diesel in the end. Again, I was telling you, I don't even have a sentimental attachment to it. It's just kind of like a <laughs> trivia note. Hey, this was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in the theater when I was a kid. And, you know, like I said, I didn't really know they could show female nudity in movies. So seeing Charlie Theron naked was pretty awesome when I was 12, 13, whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's dumb. Like I said, it may make its way into the holiday rotation along with Family Stone. I mean, it's fun to watch, but it's I I like it less than you do. I don't. I think I you're say, overstating how much I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I wouldn't say. I mean, yes, if you clip the last ten minutes, if you get rid of that final twist, it's a better movie. It's still dumb as fuck. It's but. still so unbelievably contrived i mean the things that have to happen for this plan to to succeed it, it, they're just insane you know and 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 they know it that's the thing because the characters keep pointing it out there's when they're in the pool and uh charlie Theron tells girls and he's like you could have killed me you were shooting at me i'm like no shit <laughs> and he's like oh my good marks man but she did fall into the ice and if yeah. Affleck hadn't like dived to rescue her she would be dead and also there would be no movie at all if just ben affleck just didn't get <laughs> right. off the bus. Yeah, yeah. They're like, how do you know? Towards the end, he's like, how did you know that I was going to do this? Because every time I read her letters, you listened. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb. But it does do an interesting thing of painting a Christmas air about it, which I find really rewarding and redeeming, is that uh, it makes it even more hilarious. They got pushed back. Because 
it's really heavy on Christmas songs in the first act. Uh-huh. And then, like, when you start to forget it's Christmas time, that's when they're like, <laughs> okay, we're going to be disguised as Santa's when we go in here. <laughs> so I think it for that, it makes it, you know, in no breath would I say this is like diehard, like a Christmas movie. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's something that I could see, you know, when my family goes to bed and I'm getting shit faced eating leftovers, I could put on and, like, just fuck around on my phone or something like that. Because it does, it has a Christmas vibe, but it's just a dumb fucking movie. Right. And there's, like, a lot of stuff that will make you laugh, either because it's really dumb or just uh, sometimes it's actually funny. Like, the, the Dude, rum and Pepsi. That is hilarious <laughs> i had forgotten about that but that that was like a genuine reaction that we had to that that's probably the best comedic payoff in the uh, movie yeah and then affleck's performance like we said in hashtag cc i mean it's just he, he really is hamming it up for the laughs and that's fine because i guess maybe he realized that the script as a serious movie doesn't make any sense yeah. so he might as well just get as much mileage out of the the comedic moments because yeah he he goes for it comedically, and Charlize Theron. Um, I I feel bad for her. I know she's a great actress, but she she gets screwed. Even though the movie explains why her character acts a certain way through most of the movie, it's still it's such a thankless part to it's play. Like a sixties what you would see in like a sixties movie as a written female character. Right. But she's just constantly just screaming and, and, and pleading for her life and for Affleck's life. And she's helpless and she gets smacked around a lot. And it, I don't think that the, the reveal of like, Oh, but that's not really who she is. She's actually like a, a, an independent criminal, whatever. I don't think it's worth sitting through how annoying she is in that first half of the movie, you know, especially when you know that she's better than that yeah, as an actress. Well, at that point in time, I don't know. She. Well, I mean, I, I've seen so, her in so much. She's literally the only female in the movie, and for ninety percent of it, she just gets naked and acts like well, she that is too. helpless. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't she done like anything bigger before that? That thing you do. Yeah, I guess you didn't know much about her then. <laughs> oh, you get not complain. She's a beautiful woman. Um, so as a man, I approve. But at the same time, yeah, knowing what I know now, not just being a 13-year-old kid watching it, it's like, that's eh, kind of shitty, kind of yeah. really sexist. I think that she was like the main thing that was uh, uh, putting me off while we were watching it. Just All the henchmen, like, Denal Logue is enjoyable. Danny Trejo is oddly robotic in this. He He's usually kind of a you know, polished actor and like his lines kind of roll off, but he seems really robotic. Well, he's also like more colorful usually. And this time he's pretty subdued for a Danny Trejo character. That's true. Uh, he has that one moment where he's talking about going to night school or, well, no, he's talking about the, the economics of the holidays. And then the voice of Donald Trump kicks in. <laughs> Ever since you went to night school, you started thinking for yourself. Yeah. That's the only real moment his character gets. Gary Sinise is Lieutenant Dan with legs. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's, yeah. We were like laughed so many times because like they he looks exactly the same and like his and then temperament. When he, when he sits down, they're like, yeah. "Oh my god, he's on the wheelchair." <laughs> There's a couple shots where they just show him from the kneecaps up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a great actor, so he does best he can with it. Yeah, and it's like you you talked about uh, uh, Snake Eyes, and that's also Gary Sinise being the bad guy. Yes, right? it is. That's right. I forgot about that. I mean, but that's like clean shaven. Yeah, uh, Lieutenant Dan while still well, he still had legs. Uh, no, it's Lieutenant Dan when he comes back at the end. It right with yeah. the titanium yeah. uh, legs. Lieutenant yeah. Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, Affleck I think is the star of the movie, not just in the literal sense, but he 
makes chicken somewhat a chicken salad out of chicken <laughs> shit. I think. He, I don't know about that. I mean, okay, he so, delivers his lines with such sarcasm. I mean, that is like it's entertaining, but I don't know that that's the best thing that could have happened to the movie. You know what I mean? Like, if you're talking about why this movie is good to watch at midnight after everybody's gone to sleep on Christmas. Yes, Affleck's performance is probably one of the main reasons why it's fun to watch. But if you're talking about why is it so hard to take this movie seriously? Because the, the lead actor doesn't take it seriously? <laughs> right. After the plot points, like, I think the plot is the main obstacle. And then Affleck's performance, it's just he really is in another movie most of the time where he when he's just being funny and yeah. hamming it up. I'm like that doesn't it doesn't ring true the way that Sneeze's performance rings through. You know, as far as like this guy that's supposed to be in a life or death situation, uh it just seems he seems like he's in a comedy. Yeah. The only moments that make like sense in terms of Affleck's performance and the way his character is written um is the first scene where he's out because he's like just looking around and kind of like holy shit I'm out of prison and then just goes right to him fucking Charlie Theron because <laughs> that's like an accurate portrayal of most likely what would happen given the scenario. Right. That whole thing where yeah, he comes back uh, he, the bus stops, he goes to her, they go to the cafe, they have their awkward talk and then they have sex. That's probably the most real <laughs> sequence in the movie. And then it goes off. Yeah, and then it just it just goes crazy. Because yeah, you don't really buy him it, it, doing anything when he when he's trying to confess his confession is so over the top and so in the fact that it goes from him being a complete idiot at times where he just has absolutely no idea how to play these guys yeah and then sometimes he's he's this mastermind where he's like oh i know how to play them exactly and it just goes back and forth between one and the other there's no consistency to his character i mean i couldn't tell you a single thing about his character really other than what's happening to him at the time in the movie and he can somehow... oh, and, the, and he wants to watch the game with his dad yeah and he flushed his driver's license down the toilet <laughs> yeah and then he patted the toilet like it was his buddy yeah i mean okay that's like and i always go back to this is like what is ben affleck's character arc in the movie and i couldn't tell you no he doesn't learn anything really he just survives he learns the word ravine <laughs> I could not get over that. Is this is what your life brought you to? Pushing a guy into a ravine. Again, as far as a bad guy line, we've kind of joked about this with other movies, how it doesn't deserve it. That line Sinise has where you're going to spend Christmas with the birthday boy, that's fucking awesome. Like, that, a better movie deserved that line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, a better movie deserved uh, Dennis Farina. Who really was Dennis Farina? Was Dennis Farina, but he brought it. He now him I buy. See, he is the comic relief character actor actor in a thriller that's more serious than everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know than than him. So uh, if everybody else was taking this a little more seriously, or if Affleck was taking this a little more seriously, then Farina's presence would be more of a highlight. Yeah. I guess you know because it's like oh, this is the funny quirky bank manager or casino manager guy. And like we talked about with the Ashton Kutcher thing, this would have been in uh, – they filmed this in 99. So this would have been like a fun winking cameo to have Kelso in there. Right. Yeah, for so. like five minutes. Yeah. 25% is pretty warranted. It's not good. What's what's your, your letter grade? It's like a fucking <laughs> – it's a D plus that I kind of give a thumbs up to. <laughs> it's a, It's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's 
it's bad. There's like really no scenario in which I'd find myself defending it. I would just be like, eh, I enjoy watching it from time to time. So yeah, I, I and would, from time to time, I mean like Christmas while drunk. Yeah, I or think for a podcast, <laughs> one and a half stars out of five for me. That's what uh, old Eber gave it was one point five. Sometimes we agree. Yeah. Um, so in two thousand seven, in an interview with Esquire, Charlie Theron considered it the worst film she ever made. She said she did it because she wanted to work with John Frankenheimer. That brings us to an edition of <laughs> Is It Worse Than Reindeer Games? <laughs> so, Julio, I'm going to go down Charlie's Theron's filmography here, and we're going to figure out Is It Worse Than Reindeer Games? All right. Film, not television. So we'll start after Reindeer Games, starting with Men of Honor, which I think is worse than Reindeer Games. Men of Honor, is that... Uh, Fucking uh, Cuba and, and Robert, Robert De, Niro? De Niro? Yeah. No. Oh, it's bad, It's man. It's not good, but... That final scene when uh, when the Nero is like shouting at Cookie Junior for him to like walk and mm-hmm. like, is that they call him Cookie the entire time? I just the main Give scene I remember cookie. is when they fill up their helmets with water and they're trying to see who can like you know survive underwater uh, longer. Cuba's uh, like really acting and you can see it, and then De Niro's <laughs> just like looking bored. <laughs> oh, it's bad. The Legend of Bagger Vance. Haven't seen it. I have it on my. I've had it on my Netflix since forever. It, it might not even be available anymore. <laughs> it's it's better than reindeer games. Let's see, it's Will Smith, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is he a golfer? Yeah, the Italian Job. Are you a fan of the Italian Job? I like it. Okay, that's fun. It's, it's better than reindeer games. See, the Italian Job is the kind of movie that reindeer games could have been. The Italian Job, set in Christmas, sold ensemble of cool actors, cool heists. You could have done that if, like, they gave a little more of a shit. So she must have felt vindicated in the thriller uh, heist genre after she did that. Mm-hmm. Moving along here. Monster, which I think we can agree. Much better. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a big one. Aeon Flux. I haven't seen it. Oh. It looked terrible. <laughs> it is. Did you ever watch the cartoon? The MTV animated show? Yeah. I Back, like, when I would watch The Max. Right, like, right. I, like, there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer is watching uh, Twin Peaks, and he's watching, <laughs> and he's going, I have no idea what's going on. That's how I felt when I watched those cartoons. Yeah, that's that's how I felt about AM Flux. I remember trying a couple of times, because I'm like, oh, this is a cool thing to do. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't understand. But it's it's much worse. So for <laughs> her to say that, she had made that by this point in 2007. Um, in the Valley of Elah? I've seen it. I, I liked it. Okay. Hancock. Ooh, wow. <laughs> that is, Hancock is it's a movie is with serious issues. Terrible. But I... No, there's no but. Dude, I mean, it had Jason Bateman. I think, like, the first half hour of that movie is solid. Uh, I'd even relegate it down to, like, the first 20 minutes. It's uh, until until he gets in until until they put him in prison, I think. So let's make or something before clear. before they reveal before they reveal like the nonsense of Charlie Theron also having superpowers and being like were they once again sexualize her just to put her in like black spandex and yes, be, mind you, she's not the problem with that movie. The problem oh no 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 no, it's the Will Smith issue. Right, of we're where not he... we're not rating we're not rating her performances. We're rating no, I know. the quality of the movie. I just want to make that clear to our faithful listeners. The problem with that movie is that Will Smith thing where. If it seems like any semblance of him being bad, it has to be redacted to where he's good. Right, because the original idea of like this superhero that's completely reprehensible, yeah. played by Will Smith, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, he's like... An X-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Hancock 
is horse than reindeer games. I will put the stamp on that there. <laughs> um, and then we get into two interesting ones here um, later on in uh, 2012. Now, I think I've shared many times on here. I am a big fan of Snow White and the Huntsman, but many people aren't. I like it. I like it fine. And she's definitely the best thing in a movie. So it's better than reindeer games? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, this is an argument that you and I will have no problem defending, but a lot of people have their issues with Prometheus. <laughs> Prometheus is a thousand times a movie Reindeer Games is. With that being said, <laughs> her running from the from the rolling no, spaceship. I oh, father? I don't know if there's a scene as bad in Reindeer Games as father in Prometheus. <laughs> the difference being... That scene is donut holed into a much better right, movie exactly, than exactly. Reindeer Games. Yeah. But that's pretty bad. This one I'm a bit guilty of because you got this for me uh, for my birthday, A Million Ways to Die in the West. And shockingly, I have not watched it yet. <laughs> Maybe you're waiting for the episode that we'll do on A Million Ways to Die in the West. But since it's written by Seth MacFarlane, I just. It must to, be great. I just have to go ahead and say that Reindeer <laughs> Games is better than that. Come on. Um,. And then uh, Mad Max, obviously. Well, yeah. We would get lynched if we said that. You know. Arguably the pinnacle of her career, maybe. Just as far as like recognition for her playing a character that's – you're talking about like her being wasted as eye candy or in roles that are lesser than her yeah. talent. And here she's like complete pure star power. Uh, yeah. I, and I'm not – we might get lynched. I might get lynched anyway because I'm not the biggest fan of Mad yeah. Max Fury Road as far as like, oh, it's the best movie of the year or whatever. But it's it's really good. It's like – Visually a, stunning and – Yeah, it's a great action movie. Uh, she it, – it was an interesting film in that um, it was clear that she was meant to be the star because Tom Hardy, let's you know, he commands whatever fucking movie he's in. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that like less light was shed on him intentionally to make her shine, which was a really um, – and like you said, a good role because she is someone that – what we watched it exploited for her looks and things like that, where it was really an empowering uh, role and a good performance by her as well. Uh, surprised you didn't bring up because this is like further back in the chronology, but I'm pretty sure it's after Reindeer Games, uh, Curse of the Jade Scorpion, the Woody Allen movie. Because uh, she's in it, she doesn't have a big mm-hmm. part, and it's not, it's generally. Uh, thought of as one of the lesser Woody Allen movies. Uh, it's not that bad, but it's not great. Oh, I like God. it. Sweet November. We didn't go over that either. I haven't seen it. Is that with Keanu Reeves? With Keanu, yeah. Is she dying in that one? I always get Sweet November and uh, the one with uh, Winona Ryder and Richard Gere mixed up. I think uh, that's Autumn in New York where she is dying. <laughs> and what's the fucking movie that Keanu and Sandra Bullock did? Oh, that's The Lake House, which I haven't seen, but that's... I ha- I'm afraid that I will like it because it has the it, it, well, it has the time travel aspect where like you know they live in different eras, but when they go into the lake house, they both in the same space. It's actually the fourth installment of the Matrix. <laughs> yes. Um, and then lastly, rounding out that which neither Julio or I have seen, the Last Face, the uh, Sean Penn directed romantic film that centers around uh, war torn South Africa. But it's only about these two doctors that fall in love. And despite my love, Adele, Exar Choplis being in that film, it's supposed to be just fucking dreadful. I don't know. It Point sounds being, like another exciting chapter in uh, Charlie Theron's acting career and Sean Penn's directorial career. What else is he directing? Uh, he's in, I think, like three other movies. I've seen one. I saw The Pledge with Jack Nicholson, and it was good. Whatever the case, the whole point of that exercise was to say that 
It's debatable what the worst movie she's made is. Uh, I mean, that's pretty bad. And I think, like, like I mentioned to you earlier, she might be thinking of the experience of making Reindeer Games. Because can you imagine you're excited because you're going to work under this iconic director, John Frankenheimer, and then you get there and and it's just like the script doesn't make any sense. The actors are on, on different edges of the spectrum when it comes to how they're approaching the material. And you have to shoot two naked scenes that are kind of irrelevant to the plot. I mean, you that you, you could have done without. Yeah. Uh, I could imagine just that sense of disappointment. Maybe she was, if the movie had been better at the end, you know, if it come out and it was like, oh, you know, it didn't make sense when we were making it. But then the director worked his magic, the editor worked his magic, and oh, it's I, I didn't see the big picture while I was in it. But now I appreciate it that maybe she would think fondly of the experience. But it's like you have a shitty time and then it's a shit movie. Well, yeah. I, yeah. She'll yeah. be like, fuck this. <laughs> I quit. We were joking about the – we saw there was a director uh, – alternative commentary and it was just with frankenheimer but i can i would pay a good amount of money to hear a commentary from affleck and baron sitting in a room watching that um but yeah it was you know like i was telling you i imagine ranger games is a lot like uh, halloween sixes for paul rudd and that one out of a thousand fans will bring it up to ben affleck hey man i really like ranger games and he's probably just like okay but for Charlie's Theron, yeah, I, I, she's made worse movies than that. But for reasons you mentioned and things we've talked about, I could see where that's probably at the top of her bad experiences list. Yeah, I mean, let's say Aeon Flux. I haven't seen it, but I know she's the lead in that one. And that might have made all the difference as far as like her saying, okay, the movie but sucks. But she still gets to be a quotations badass and that it's a shit movie but you know she doesn't have to get naked and like right that's like what i mean idiot. and yeah. she might have been like okay the movie ended up not being what we wanted but we took a chance and i was completely in control of everything that happened there whereas hancock is just <laughs> if this is 25 percent, hancock is five percent <laughs> hancock is trash i i mean i do have i dislike uh hancock very intensely because also the superhero genre is like my thing like that's mm-hmm. like what I really go for, and the fact that they botched it the way they did, it makes me angry, and I resent that movie. But I'm trying to be objective. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, at least Hancock had like an original. Se- what does Reindeer Game have? Reindeer Games have be- besides the idea of like, okay, five Santas robbing a casino because that's that's cool. Like that yeah. that quote mentioned it. I'm like, that's a cool visual, and I can see somebody being like, hey, let's build a movie around this. Yeah. So that's but Hancock has more to it. You know, and it's just it that they have lose Gary away. Sinise saying, "Don't play reindeer games with me." God, how did we not mention that quote in uh, Contrarian's Corner? Because that is, I wanted to say that that is a sign of brilliance when you manage to integrate your movie's title uh, in a way that's not clunky yeah. into the dialogue, uh, and reindeer games does it <laughs> very clunkily. Yes. <laughs> They're um, they're just, like almost as bad as like uh, as the doorman uh, looking at the screen at the at the end of that thing you do. <laughs> all right, y'all. Uh, random sidebar, but I don't know if any movie, modern movie, has integrated the movie title in it better than The Dark Knight. I told you just recently you watched that. It's the last line of the oh, movie, yeah, but yeah, it yeah, works yeah. so perfectly. Did they do it with The Dark Knight Rises? Because <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hats off to Mr. Nolan. <laughs> no. They did the fire rises, but you know. 
It's a great movie too. It's Gordon again at the end. And this is how the Dark Knight rises. (laughs) 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 And then the end of Interstellar is McConaughey. Interstellar. (laughs) 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 But yeah, uh, that is our Christmas bonus episode. Whatever holiday y'all celebrate, we do hope it's a happy one. If you're listening to this, we always appreciate your listen. Um, iTunes, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, pretty much just good good to stream and uh, download. For iTunes, you know, if you guys are checking us out on there, be sure to leave a review um, and uh, rate and subscribe. Um, you know, we always respect and appreciate those five stars. But if you have any constructive feedback, we appreciate that too. I, would, I love feedback, negative and uh, positive, because if I don't like the negative, I can just ignore it. If you hate Reindeer Games or you do believe Charlie Theron did make a movie worse than Reindeer Games and you want to contribute that for discussion, we are the contrarians at gmail.com is the place to go for that. I have a holiday plug. Do you have any plugs? I've been watching a lot of movies lately. I rewatched The Wrestler for the first time in several years and I always have a very hard time disconnecting myself from anything that has to do with wrestling because I love it so much. But I got so much out of rewatching that movie. Like Mickey Rourke is so good in it. And Marissa Tomei. It's just like a fucking perfect movie. Did you catch it uh, on HBO or did you just put in the DVD? I, I just I was looking for something to watch the other day. I was like, I haven't watched this in a while, so I watched the Blu-ray of it. Because it was playing on HBO a, a while ago. And I remember watching part of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot how like nasty the fights are. Yeah. Like, the actual, like how much he gets hurt like yeah. in reality. In particular the scene of them in the bar where they're singing together. And then also just, and this is completely Mickey Rourke, that scene where he works behind the deli counter for the first time where he starts and he's really embarrassed. And it's like the progression of his day where he, he gets lo- more confident. Yeah, and he's joking yeah. around with the customers and things like that. Yeah, that's great. No, outside of that, you know, watch SNL this weekend. Casey Affleck's hosting, or I guess by the time this is uploaded, it will have happened. So watch it on Hulu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Casey Affleck hosting. You know, Casey Affleck, the tempting sketch comedy is going to be something very interesting. What are the odds of Ben Affleck showing up? Pretty high. What are the odds of Ben Affleck showing up and making a Reindeer Games reference? Low. Oh, that's about it. It's the season. I think we need him on Inside the Actors Studio with you know, <laughs> Reindeer um, Games. What happened? <laughs> Doesn't Garrison E say "Tis the season" at some point, in the, or is it someone else? He says "Tis the season" oh, when um, he shows them the oh the, the guns, the, right? The Santa. The oh, Santa the Santa, the Santa costumes. Yeah. And like I said, the best part is when they're getting away with the money. He says, "God bless us, everyone." <laughs> My plug that's sort of holiday uh, themed, uh, just because. You know, the holidays make people sad. There was this uh, – have you ever heard of Post Secret? Mm-mm. Okay, so I heard about it and I, I read about it when I was working at Barnes & Noble several years ago. And uh, they have books, but they also have a website. I think it started as a website. It's basically this this thing where, like, you just – so you write a secret on a postcard and you send it to these people anonymously. You don't put your name on it. You don't sign it. And, and then they collect them and they display, like, the most – interesting the most moving the saddest the happiest the funniest on this website and then they have collections of those also and and they print them as books there's like at least when i was working at Boston noble there were like three or four post secret books and i would just flip through them and they're like it's a wide range of things that you read you know from people confessing like really creepy things to people confessing really sad things to really silly things sad uh, happy things it, it's it runs the gamut mm-hmm. and so i'm writing this thing right now where um uh, that's set in the 90s, 
So what I was doing while I was writing at home is I would just go to YouTube and, you know, just type like 90s music and hit on one of those uh, playlists that show up. And then it just plays like a lot of 90s music yeah, uh, to get me in the mood. And uh, and one of the things that shows up, that showed up, it was like a Counting Crows song that was, uh, it didn't have like an official video. It was one of those fan-made videos. And the fan-made video was made up of post-secret postcards. That's awesome. Yeah. So the song is really sad to begin with. But then when you have that song playing over post-secret cards, it's fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> Even like the, the happy ones are just like tinged with like melancholy because it's somebody saying something, but it's a secret. You know, yeah. it's like they're putting a postcard, but it's something that they keep secret through their lives. So it was like a, a, a very – I stopped, you know, because the song started. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was a video for this song. And I look up and it's like, oh, it's post-secret cards. And then I just started reading them. And I just like – for like three minutes, I was like, I was like glued to the screen because I hadn't even checked Post Secret in a while. And then I checked, and I'm like, oh, the website's still going; it's still a thing. Uh, but I would recommend Google it. I'll put the link, but yeah, just Google that video. And then if you're interested by that, then you can just go to the actual Post Secret website and read more. It's uh it's pretty cool. Of course, you know, there are always people that say, well. Most of those are probably fake. People that just want to make it to the website or make it to the book, and they just come yeah. up with a bullshit secret and send that postcard. And that's probably the case in some of them. But I also believe that some of them are definitely true. And you know, because that's that's just what people do. You know, that's mm-hmm. so. Anyway, very interesting experience. Uh, post secret and the Counting Crows video for Black and Blue. It's not the official video, so you just kind of have to look for different videos of Black and Blue until you hit the post secret one, or you can click on the link that I'll mm-hmm. put on the website. I wouldn't say this is a plug, but I spent the past week watching um, a new series on Netflix. It was called Haters Back Off. It is a Netflix original about uh, Miranda Sings. Are you familiar with this, Julio? No. Okay. So Miranda Sings is like this viral thing that happened. Uh, Colleen Ballinger is the name of a basically like writer and comedian that came up with this character, like a YouTube it's not good at all, but it was this type of thing where I got really into it just because by the time I realized how shit it was, it was four episodes in, <laughs> and the series was eight episodes. So I was like, fuck it. I have to finish this. Also, Steve Little's in it. Uh, Stevie Janowski from uh, Eastbound and Down. Yes. Yeah, okay, so yeah. I'm a big fan of his. So anyway, long story short, not good. Don't recommend it, but Francesca Real is this actress that's on it that I never heard of or seen before. I think she's 23, 24. She is like by the end of it was the only thing that was like redeeming about it. She was like the beacon of hope that kept you going. Yeah, because she's the only character that's likable at all. And uh, Angela Kinsey's also on it. Uh, Angela mm, from The, the Office. Office. Yeah, um, it's that type of thing where you see someone in a role like that and they're still young that you kind of want them to be in other things so you can see like, uh-huh. what they do in like a good environment. Right. Um. So yeah, it had like a one star rating on Netflix to begin with, but I was like, oh, Stevie's in it. So yeah, it, it was. I'm sure you're like myself. You've done that before. You get so far into something that you're like, fuck it. I have to finish it now. That's when I start playing with my phone, but I'll, it, it keeps oh, playing. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. After like two episodes, it was like on my laptop with it as background noise. But every time I came back to it, she played the main character's sister in it and it was really good. There are weird things like that. And like this, even taking back to Ranger games, it's like, man, even when Ben Affleck is not giving a shit and just like being sarcastic about it, he's still better actor than i could ever be <laughs> <laughs> especially now because i, I really i kind of mentioned it in the previous section in contrary corner but really we've seen him age and we've seen him kind of like become this more respectable actor slash 
director and uh, up until March of this year. <laughs> but even then, you're just kind of like feeling bad for him. Uh, it's not a film. He didn't. Do it. He fucking got in jacked shape. It's just man, he's not in control there. I mean, exactly. he has very limited control. No one has control when <laughs> Zack Snyder's at the helm. It's a madhouse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that he's. I've always been a Ben Affleck like defender when people were talking shit about him just because of what was going on in his personal life or because he made some bad movies. I'd be like, yeah, but he's also made good movies, so really it's not about the lack of talent it might be that you know he just and i think he's even said it sometimes like well you know you make some shit movies that will pay the bills so you can make the really good movies that don't make that much at the box office so that's that kind of compromise he's a good dude i'm done with plugs i mean we're just gonna like replug the festive years oh always yeah their album don't let me lose you don't Um, let me use you don't let me use you i'm sorry because then i'll lose you the Festive Years, their <laughs> album Don't Let Me Use You, their, uh, our opening track uh, being uh, This Is Our Last Stand, and closing title being Summer of 99. Listen to Draft Zero. We got a lot of good uh, response to the podcast we did with Chaz about Die Hard. I got a lot of enjoyment just by listening back to it. I was trying to tell my lady friend we were listening to it. I was like, listen to his accent. He sounds so dignified. He brings this air of prestige Dude, to our podcast. No kidding. I, when uh, There is a moment, and I knew it. I mean, I felt it when it happened. I guess we were recording live, and then I, I mentioned it to him, I think, before he left. And then I felt it again when I was like listening to it, which is when he says... He says something along the lines on the on the second half on Real Talk. He says something along the lines of like, "Well, let's just figure out what makes a good Die Hard movie." And I think it's the accent plus the fact that he's like, it's almost like he's sitting us down. It's like, okay, stop fucking around and let's just like talk about the movie and and you know, let's really talk about something serious. And yeah, it felt like having like some like dignitary from <laughs> from abroad, which we kind of did. I guess. we were like a, a little model UN. We had Peru, Australia, and. <laughs> Texas there. Yeah, not the U.S., Texas. <laughs> Fuck, man. We're on the edge of segregating to begin with. So, <laughs> Yeah, outside of that, so this is our bonus Christmas episode. Not going to be in lineage, so to speak. Uh, prior to this, you would have heard the player. Following this, the Entourage movie, which will be episode number 37. That is a real Christmas present for us. Jesus. <laughs> for release of that, too, that's going to time in with ronda rousey's return fight and she's in that movie right? really yeah. oh yeah she's she has a, a significant part in that movie yeah joy we're flipping there where it's a movie that i've seen surprisingly like numerous times <laughs> and alex hasn't seen yet and then 38 bullets over broadway and 39 a chorus line yes and then for 40 this is 40 oh buddy that's gonna be a hoot and a half <laughs> And then for 41, since we're going to need to go back to something in the positive. That's one you're not telling me, right? Exactly. Okay. We're going to do a kind of a surprise, or not we, but I have a plan. Uh, we have a friend of the podcast named Reed. I'm going to try to get him to uh, record with us for episode 41, and Julio will be in the dark about it until we actually start the movie. Very exciting. Yeah. It, it should be something. But for the meantime, we appreciate you listening to this bonus episode of The Contrarians. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, not a happy new year because we'll touch base with you before then. But, yes, Entourage um, will be the happy new year episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, crazy Kwanzaa, all that good stuff. Whatever happy you celebrate, holidays. have a good time. Happy holidays. Take care. Santa Claus.
Still good? Uh, yeah, we're still good. Actually, right. hang on. Let me go grab a beer.